Hey, church, how are we today? Good morning. It's awesome to be with you. I want to greet everyone online. Thanks for being a part of our community today. Hello and shout out to Speedway and our North Sanctuary. It's just awesome to be together as we're in this one campaign, which is just crazy, from different tribes, tongues, nations, ethnicities, from Ghana to Hong Kong to many, many different churches here in Kansas City and beyond. We're all just going down deep, staying down long on the person of Jesus, which is awesome. We're reading the scriptures and listening to the scriptures together. We're in groups. If you're not in group yet, go ahead and head out to the, the new or post online, new, new connection area or online and just say, hey, I wanna be a part of this movement. Grab a Bible on your way out here if you're with us on the Lenexa campus or at Speedway because this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The followers of Jesus living under the prayer of Jesus that we might be one. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what does, uh, what does that oneness look like today? But first, let's, uh, let's pray together. Will you join me? <clears throat> so Jesus, we just invite all that you would have for us today. We set aside the distractions. We make space for you. And truthfully, we need you we need you in our own lives. Would you bring your peace? Would your presence touch us, comfort us, even challenge us today? And we think about our world, and we need you, God. We think about those suffering in the Ukraine. Would you bring your presence? Would you bring your power? Would you bring your rescue? And God, we pray for all the, all the other churches around this world that are joining us and we are joining them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Ghana and in Hong Kong and across Troost and everywhere else in between, God. We just pray a sense of the joy of heaven to fall upon them, the peace of heaven, um, your perspective, your beating heart. We pray for, for all of us together and we all say amen. So today we're talking about the, the, the six-letter phrase by Jesus, I am the bread of life. And I just got to tell you, right out of the gate, kind of triggers me, the whole bread thing. Here's why. 1979, let's say, maybe early 80s, I've awakened. It's a school day. I'm coming down the stairs for breakfast. My older brother, Rob, he's six years older. He's coming up the stairs. We have this passing. I'll never forget the moment. He's pounding his feet. He's like, just, like, just, he's a teenager too, by the way. So he's, and I can't, bird seeds. I cannot believe that she's feeding us bird seeds. Bird seeds. Millet is what it's called. Now, here's the backstory. The backstory is my mom um, read somewhere in a book about how store bought bread is bad. Then she read in a different book how store bought wheat is bad. And then she decides that she needs to grind her own wheat right in her house. So she buys a wheat grinder. Sounds like a 747 is landing in our kitchen about 6 a.m. every single morning. And did I mention, I grew up in California where all the crazy stuff happens, right? This is way ahead of the time. This is before like Wheat Belly and all those other books came out. And so my mom would get up probably at 4 a.m. She'd grind these 12 grains and exotic things into, and somehow bake them into this like chunk of bread that when you'd put it on a sandwich, it would just crumble. And there I'd be at grade school. And all my friends, they'd have Wonder Bread. 
And it was like so perfect, you know? And sometimes the moms would cut off the crust, right? There was no crust on this bread. <laughs> Triggers me. <laughs> and when Jesus said those words 2,000 years ago, it triggered some things too. So let's, let's look about it uh, here. John chapter six, you grab your old school Bible, you can grab your new school Bible from your phones, grab your West Side app. And we're going to look at John chapter 6. Here's what's going on. Jesus is totally trending in this moment. He has fed like thousands of people from basically one lunch pail. He's walked on water, which is where we get the expression. Like, girls, if you ever said, he walks on water. Like, no, like Jesus literally did. He walked on water. It's not an expression. He created the expression because he walked on water in a storm. He set his disciples in a boat. They were out in a storm. He stayed behind, saw there was trouble, and literally walked on water in the middle of a storm. Comes around to the other side of the lake. Now he's in the boat. And all of these crowds are following him. I mean, this is the time. If you're a PR specialist, now's the time to triple down on Jesus. Get the t-shirts. Get the wristbands. Put them on the view right? Get him on a podcast network, NPR, everything. Like now's the time. He's got serious mojo going on and crowds are following him around the lake. They get to the other side. They're expecting to see 12 people in the boat. They see 13. Why? Because Jesus walked on water. He got into the boat and he's dry. And they ask him a question. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Very simple question. Jesus could have said, like right now with the other. I mean, he could have answered all sorts of things, but he goes esoteric on him. He's like, well, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, and because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and had your fill, do not work for food. That's well. He basically brings them challenge right out of the gate. And now they're on their heels. They're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. You say we're to do the works of God and what God requires. What is that? And Jesus goes, well, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent, namely Jesus talking about himself. And they're like, well, what sign would you give us that you're the one? I mean, Moses gave us bread from heaven. Now that's throwing down the gauntlet. That's going to one of the most beautiful, powerful, and heralded stories in the Old Testament, where for 40 years... They're wandering, the people of Israel, they're wandering through the wilderness and God like shows up with bread that falls from heaven every single morning and quail at night. And this is a huge, huge part of the story. And Moses is their hero. And the bread from heaven, which is literally called manna, which is like, what is it? Well, it tasted a little bit like this honey-tinted coriander kind of thing. And they're dropping this gauntlet like, Jesus, show us something like that. And he, and he just goes for it. He goes, well, let me just tell you something. Moses didn't give you that bread. It was my father that gave you that bread. And by the way, <laughs> he goes on. I mean, this is a great passage. I encourage you to read the, the whole thing. People are grumbling, right? They, they're, they're not understanding what he's saying. He goes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate the man in the wilderness, right? And they died. I'm going to give you bread by which you can live forever. And now everyone's like, oh, what, 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 what is going on here? The Jews began to sharply uh, argue among themselves. How can this man uh, do this? And literally, Jesus goes for the juggler. He says this, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I and the Father just... And he goes on and on and on. Now, we know that he's talking... Retroactively, we know that he's talking about what? Communion. That we're going to remember Jesus by his body being broken on the cross, his blood being spilled on the cross, and we're going to take bread, and we're going to take wine or juice, and we're going to remember him. So, so we think communion. What are they thinking? Cannibalism. How would you like to be Jesus' PR specialist in this moment? This is not going well. In fact, everyone starts to now really, really grumble. And they start to actually, if you read on, it says that um, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's like Jesus trying to sabotage his own movement. He's trying to thin the crowd. And then there's this very poignant kind of question, moment, And we'll put this up on the screen, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Could you imagine? (laughs) Kind of picture a stare down moment right here with Jesus, locking with you right in the eyes. Does this offend you? You know, Jesus has asked a lot of great questions. Like, what do you want me to do for you? He asked somebody. Do you want to get well? He asked someone else. What are you guys talking about as you're walking alongside the road? He asked two people. This question right here might just be his best. Have I offended you? Does this offend you? Jack Deere, an author, writes this. He says, what offends the mind reveals the heart. What offends the mind reveals the heart. And what I want to say to all of us here in this moment is this. Get offended. Get offended. In fact, I would say this, that if we're not regularly being offended by Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, it is likely that we are not following the real Jesus of the Gospels, if he's not offending you and I regularly. Would you agree with that? If we're not being offended by this Jesus that we follow, it's probably more of a Jesus of our own making, a Jesus of our own preference, the Jesus where we just go, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. But the Jesus here, oh my goodness. If you don't think he's crazy every so often, it's probably not the real Jesus. And if he's not offending your sensibilities, Probably not the real Jesus. I mean, I look, at the, I look at the questions of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and I just go, I don't know. He says, blessed are the meek. I go, I don't want to be meek. That's offensive to me. I want to be strong, right? Love your enemies. Great idea, unless I have one. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you. I've heard that happens on occasion, right? Uh, uh, narrow is the road that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Destruction? Really, Jesus? I mean, come on. Don't we all just kind of find our way? If you love me, you'll do what I say. Well, wait a minute, don't you always love me, Jesus? Or do I have to do what you you say? Or 
hey, depart from me, I never knew you. I know you said you did this for me and did that for me, but depart from me, I never knew you. I just go, well, wait a minute, sell your possessions. Okay, well, which ones? If we're not truly coming up against the real Jesus of the Gospels, Probably we're not being offended, but I'm, I'm guaranteeing you there have been moments where I'm reading about Jesus and I just, I throw up my hands and sometimes I just like, kind of like, you know, not, I don't want to be disrespectful of the Bible, but I throw it down. I go, I don't know what to do with that, Jesus. I don't know where to file that within my system. And I think that's what was happening for the Jewish people and for the followers of Jesus. By the way, these people were following him until they weren't. So how does Jesus offend? What does he offend? Well, I want to maybe draw a a, a little bit of a diagram here that will give us a picture. So here's here's you and me, right? Long torso is what you have. And here's, here's Jesus. And we want the clearest picture of who Jesus is, right? We, we, we want to, we truly want to, we want to follow the Jesus of the gospels, not the, the Jesus of our own design. And so where do we start? And, and, the, and the truth is we, we want to be a people who start right here with the scriptures. And we want to search the scriptures, as it says in, in Acts about the, these people called the Brians. They search the scriptures to see if these things were true. Now, I wish this was all that it took in order to see the real Jesus, but the reality is is that we all apply different filters beyond that. Paul says we look for truth in a mirror and it's dim or it's foggy. So we all have these kind of filters by which we, we build our view of Jesus. And the first, next one might be who you are, your own personality, how you view the world, your own experiences. The next one might be community. This is your family, your friends, your important relationships, your church. Next one might be traditions, really good and beautiful things that you've learned to do over the years by way of your faith tradition. Culture, which that's a big word, I know. And there's subcultures and all that, but it's the milieu, it's the, it's the context in which we live in this moment in time. The influences within uh, the society in which we live. And then there's one more. Anybody want to guess what it is? There's many more, by the way. How about this one? Ideology. Our politic, our worldview the way in which we see the world. And by the way, there would be finances would be woven in this and a whole slew of other things. All of these are important. And it's impossible to not allow these layers to be the filters by which we view and understand Jesus. Now, here's the cool part. Again, there are brothers and sisters in Ghana today and in Hong Kong and all over the world. We're all doing this. We're all looking up and holding up Jesus and going after Jesus together. And it astounds me, and it's only by the Holy Spirit by which we actually are following the same Jesus together. Isn't that beautiful? We all have such different layers and context, and yet somehow we're living out of the oneness that Jesus calls us to. Cool? Isn't that neat? 
All right, that's, that's the neat part. Here's the challenging part. When Jesus asked those that were following him, does this offend you? They weren't being offended here. Because there in the scriptures was a messianic picture about the Messiah that was to come. It was, no pun intended, kind of, sort of, it was baked in to the Old Testament and found its full revelation in Jesus. Jesus wasn't denigrating Moses or the manna that fell from heaven. He was fulfilling it. Why couldn't they see it then? Because of here, 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 and here. It blinded them from seeing the real Jesus. And you and I, we do the same thing. Our world right now is doing the same thing. Where does the offense happen? Pretty much happens right here. Years and years ago, thank goodness this is before social media, I was uh, preaching at a church, and I... um, And honestly, I have to own, I didn't do this well. I did a lot of things about this wrong. But I challenged a talk show host, a radio talk show host. And I brought challenge to him. Then I went on, the sermon went on. And at the end, I led people into an invitation to give their lives to Jesus. More people, in my experience, than I'd ever experienced as one giving that invitation, stood up and and prayed and accepted Jesus into their life. I don't remember the number, but it was like stunning. And we got done with the service, and I come down from the stage, and I'm just like so excited, only to just get blasted one person after another after another. How dare you talk about that person? Now, again, I didn't do it right. And then Monday, the nasty grand. I spent my whole next day responding to, to emails. What was the offense I brought? It wasn't about Jesus. It was, it was here. We're here. In fact, not one person ever came back and celebrated that lives entered into the kingdom of God for eternity. But many had their trigger tripped right here. And in fact, what's happened in our culture, and I would suggest dangerously so for you and me, is we no longer start with the scriptures and then are filtered from there to see Jesus. What do we do and what's happened? We no longer come underneath the scriptures in submission. We move Jesus here. We put ourselves here. And we start with our ideology to our culture, to our traditions, to our community, and what people will think in my own experience. And we impose all of those filters on the scriptures, and it leaves us with a very, very skewed Jesus in the design of our own making. True? Easy to see that our world in the Twitterverse has done this. Easy to see that global Christianity has done this. Harder to see that you and I do this all the time. I hope this serves as a rubric, as a filter, as a process. The next time you get offended, you see that bumper sticker, you see that tweet, you see that post, you hear that comment, whatever it might be, come here and just ask yourself the question, is this a here thing or is this a here, 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 here thing? Where does this fall? 
Now, it might still be important. I still might have passionate opinions about it. That's okay. But they're secondary compared to the primacy and superiority of Jesus as Lord. Would you agree? So get offended. And I hope this serves as a processing tool by which we go, okay, I'm offended. What is this truly about? Why does Jesus want to offend us here? Well, because we've been sold on fake bread. Store-bought bread. Made in an industry, like a factory in New Jersey or something. And not the real bread. And guess what it leaves you and me? Super hangry. Super hangry. We'll just keep eating that bread. It'll fill our bellies. And it'll just, it'll just suck the life out of our soul. Jesus wants to give us the real bread of life. Why, why does he want to do this? Why does he want to offend you and me? Number one, he wants to confront our idols. Where are our idols? They're no longer sticks and stones and rocks. They're right here. And that's why Peter gives us this call in the New Testament. He goes, I want you to sanctify your hearts. Revere in your hearts Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ from anything else. We know this is a part of it. We can't undo any of these things. But Jesus wants to purify them. And he wants to confront those idols. Secondly, he wants to conform us more and more into his image. Why does he want to bring offense to you and to me? Because he knows and has modeled what the very best life to live is. The one where we'll be most free, most filled with joy, most loving, most serving, most set on an adventure with the greatest amount of purpose if we walk as Jesus walked. He wants to confront our idols, purify these filters, and he wants to conform us greater into his image. I love how John in his little letter at the end of the New Testament he says this, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, conform to his, his way, conform to his teaching. This is why he wants to do this for you and for me. Get offended. How often are you offended by the, the Jesus of the gospels? I know for me, I'm offended by so many other things. So rarely by our living Lord. And so how can you and I get, get offended? Do you want to get offended, by the way? Are you up for that? You're like, you know what? That's true. That's true. I've been offended by all these other things. If I'm going to take offense, I want the loving, sweet, challenging offense of Jesus from heaven. Yes? yes. All right. So number one, just how do we get offended? Number one, we'll just read the Gospels, get offended regularly, repeatedly. That's what we're doing in this campaign. We're just reading the Gospels of Jesus. We're listening to the Gospels of Jesus. And I hope you have a moment where you go, that's not the Jesus I thought I knew. I really hope. You're like, that, again, according to my sensibilities and all that I've been shaped and framed by here, I don't know how to reconcile this with, with all of that. I hope that happens. I hope you have a couple of moments where you just kind of set aside or throw down the Bible and go, Jesus, I don't know, you're going to have to do something there because I, th I kind of think you're crazy. And by the way, you can do this whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. I'm just in my mind, I'm thinking about a friend of mine named Paul. Paul ended up giving his life to Jesus. We met for coffee. And, uh, and he said with this kind of smirk, he's like, I'm so intrigued by Jesus. I actually think he's, he might be crazy, but I'm not sure. 
that's when I know, actually, I think he's reading the real Jesus. Not someone else's thoughts on Jesus. Not some book, blog, post, fill in the blank. No, he's like reading the Jesus of the Gospels. It's offending him. And I just want to encourage us. Let's be a people who do that regularly. Number two, let's invite the Holy Spirit to bring offense. Repeatedly. Jesus, would you, by your spirit, would you just offend me? I know that some of these things, they're out of whack. I know that this has more sway than, than this. So bring offense. Purify my filters. I love how King David just put it. Search me, oh God. See where I'm anxious. And help me see the, the evil way, he says, the evil way within me. What's he inviting? He's inviting, disrupt me, offend me, so that I can see you more clearly. Third, join others who want to be offended repeatedly. Join others physically. How do you spend your time, both physically and digitally? How many of you, by the way, um, during our 40 days of prayer and fasting, how many of you fasted from some version of social media? Show of hands. That's awesome. And online, go ahead and post it. Like, for you, how helpful was that in terms of purifying all this and getting more and more clear about Jesus? Show of hands. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. What did you do? You decided to no longer join people digitally here and here and here. Now, we gotta be a part of the world, we gotta be in the world, that's not what I'm saying. But how do we get offended more and more? Well, we have to be more and more, as the scriptures say, fix our eyes on the person of Jesus. Eliminate the distractions, lessen the weight of these filters in allowing the Jesus of the gospel to truly be Lord of our lives. And so who do you spend time with? Who do you allow to be an influencer in your life? Again, I'm all for bringing in different perspectives and different worldviews. But let's never do it passively, mindlessly. Let's be thoughtful. And let's make as primacy the person of Jesus as found in the Gospels. It's interesting how this story kind of wraps up. Everyone's left Jesus except for his closest friends, the 12. And then Jesus asks them another question. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what was going on in Jesus in that moment, if there was any sense of vulnerability as he's talking to his closest friends. I don't know. Be a challenging question. Here's that moment for the 12. Everyone has left and they're right here. They've got their own filters too. And then Peter, the mouthpiece for the group says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What do they, what do they say in that moment? They're like, hey, this is hard and this is gonna be countercultural and this is gonna go upstream and against currents within our culture and our ideologies and all those kinds of things but here we are and we're standing right here and it's such a cool declaration drive the stake in the ground it's so amazing but it doesn't finish there because Jesus then replies have I not chosen you the 12 yet one of you is a devil 
Jesus just can't help but to bring more offense. I mean, I wanted him to be, wanted him to be done with verse uh, 69. That would have been a great place just to stop. Peter's confession and declaration. All right, Peter, high five, bring it in. You guys bring it in. This is amazing. He doesn't do that. He's like, okay, that's good. Hey, one of you is a devil. And it turns out to be, in the parenthetical insert, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. This might be a little heavy, but I think it's important. There were 12. They all had their, their filters. And 11 received the great offense of Jesus. And they doubled down. And there was one who allowed all the noise and all the cloudiness of every other filter lead him to ultimately choose those over Jesus as Lord. For the 11, it brought for them life, joy, adventure. Sure, martyrdom, but it ended up changing the world for the one, Judas, his own demise, his own destruction. Who do you wanna be? I know it's a big question, but when you experience offense, can you turn to the Lord and say, what, what, what is that and where does that rank and where does that fall? Who do I wanna be, Lord? I wanna be someone malleable, somebody that, that moves with you and receives the offense and responds like Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, Matthias and the others. I wanna be like that. You know, for about 30 years of my life, part of my narrative and story was, my mom served me horrible bread. And I was always tongue in cheek, great relationship with my mom and with, with my dad, but my mom, after hearing the narrative for so long, finally got fed up with it. And she pulled me aside and she said, Danny, which is only the name my mom can call me. She said, Danny, here's what you don't know. You were a sick kid, like I was. See, I always saw myself as like strong and athletic and healthy and never got sick. She goes, that's right, because I bought a wheat grinder and at 4 a.m. in the morning, I ground millet and bird seeds for you and then you didn't get sick. Now that flips everything around. That, I, that up until that point, I had been eating fake bread. And my mom, in deep, deep love, decided at her own expense and cost to bring me the true bread that led to health and life. And that's what Jesus wants for you and for me. He says, don't eat the store-bought stuff. Don't eat the prepackaged stuff. Feast on me. I am the true bread of life. And that will give you joy. It'll give you freedom. It'll give you purpose. It'll give you adventure. And if you eat the other stuff, it'll make you hangry. So feast on me. Feast on me. I want you to hear from one of our leaders around here. Her name is Gwen Kennedy. And her story is she didn't know Jesus. She was feasting all sorts of other kinds of bread until as an adult, she met Jesus, the true bread of life. And it changed everything. Let's watch. I can remember before I knew Jesus, I grew up in a home 
where there was no Jesus in the home whatsoever. And I can remember laying my head down at night and there was darkness. It was flat. But as soon the day that someone introduced me to Jesus and I accepted him, there was light, there was breath, there was excitement. My whole world turned upside down because he is the bread of life. I finally got food. And I was in my mid-20s at the time, so it's such a big shift. I was so excited about it that I went into the office that I was working in at the time, and I told uh, my boss and his girlfriend about it, and they accepted the Lord that day, and they found the bread of life. It's like black and white. And as I've walked with God for several years since then, if any time that I walk away from Him, I get hungry, I get tired, I get down but I draw close to him and he feeds me again. So I'm so attracted to that bread, I don't wanna go away from it.